And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Speaking of helping your business grow, What's the story that, of your business? How do you tell your story? I mean, how, what, what's up with telling a startup story in general? One thing I do know is that great entrepreneurs are great storytellers. It can have everything to do with how you sell your product, how you get funded, how you sell the dream to future people that will work with you, around you, for you, whatever you want to call it. That's a exactly what we're going to talk about today. And as usual, I've brought in subject matter and a subject matter expert. I almost went plural there, but I've only got one guest, so I should probably get back to the singular. Before we get too far into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today is Brian Burkhart. Brian is the founder and chief word guy at Square Planet. Go to squareplanet.com. There's a link in the show notes. Now, he's he's hailing out of Phoenix, Arizona, but man, I'll tell you what, he's been all over Chicago, Phoenix, and and often travels to some of the places I used to live, which we are not going to tell those stories on the air. Brian, welcome to Startup Hustle. Good to be with you, Matt. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's 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 an honor to be here on the show with you. I was a guest on your show, and I, I don't know if we've published that or not. But it is, it's going to be a fight to the finish yeah. to see who goes out first. But, you know, nature of the beast, I guess. I, I'm not publishing this one until you publish mine then. How about that? Well, I like the way this is going to go. It's a little bit of a tortoise versus the hare. We'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But, Brian, you, you're, a, you're a true professional and someone that has a lot of experience telling a startup story. And speaking of which, I like to say that no one tells the story better than the founders and CEOs of the company themselves. So why don't you give us a little background about yourself, Square Planet and all of it? You got it. I've been doing this whole thing of communicating for a very long time and we all have, right? But the art and science of the the, the art, if you will, of connecting people through the power of words has been a part of the equation for me for a very long time. What I remember most, very prominent moment in my life, I was in fifth grade running for student council president at Oak Ridge Elementary, a little school just outside of Chicago. And I had to speak in front of the entire student body to run for president. And I can very vividly remember the details of walking up to the lectern and pulling down this rickety old gooseneck microphone. And I was a little guy, tiny little guy. And when I spoke, I remember that power of pulling all these people together. And I knew right in that moment that I was going to win the election. And I did. And that was the first time that I knew I had something that I could do that maybe others couldn't do as well. And so I certainly wasn't the biggest guy, wasn't the best athlete, wasn't the brightest student, but I could talk a little. And that let me on a, a long storied path that brought me to today 
where we've had a tremendous amount of real world experience and success with some of the biggest brands on the planet. Where it all started though, was I was actually in Del Coronado Hotel in San Diego, watching the chief medical officer of Stanford University Hospital. This is decade plus ago. And he was giving a presentation and we were all there. Hundreds of people were there to see this guy do his thing. And I was a worker bee. I was one of the guys working on the meeting itself. And so I didn't really have to care too much. And as this guy was presenting, the top doc at Stanford, arguably one of the best medical schools in the world. He was so remarkably bad, Matt. If there were 10 things you would do wrong, he was doing 11 of them. And I said, I'm done. I'm worker bee. I'm good. And so I got up from my seat. And as I was walking to the back of the room, I saw three people, lanyards on, names on, that made a conscious choice to get out of their chairs and take a nap on the back floor of this ballroom. <laughs> and right then and there, I thought, okay, I got to do something about this. I got to help this guy. It's not fair to the audience. And that's really how Square Planet was launched. And that's been uh, 11 years in the making. You know, when it comes to public speaking, according to polls, people would rather die. They're more afraid of public speaking than they are of death, which says a lot. Now, I've experienced, I've never been one myself that has been terrified by public speaking. In fact, it actually probably cures my ADD and locks me in. I enjoy working with the crowd. It's something that's always been natural for me, but I've been around so many people that struggle with it. And it has a big effect on a lot of things that they do. And as an entrepreneur, your ability to tell the, the, just the, the origin story of what you do or communicate the benefits that your product or service offers are paramount. And, uh, I, you know, there's just a, the struggle is real. So where do you want to start? Because when it comes to telling, a, you know, telling a startup story, I think that it is also that usually that startup story is inter, for me is intertwined with the general sales pitch and benefit and valuable value statements that go with the company. Well, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, leaders are in a position that they are forced to communicate. And whether it's the oral expression and things like a pitch or even talking to your internal team, even sending things like an email. If you are a leader, you have no choice. You have to communicate. And throughout history and all organizations, you see it everywhere. Those that communicate very well often rise to the ranks of leader. It just kind of is this natural connection between the two. The thing you talked about, that fear, glossophobia is the technical term. It's very real. There's lots of reasons. Certainly, we can have some trauma as youth that can manifest itself as adults. But I think the thing is that really seems to be very, very true, and especially in the startup world, is that what we're doing when we pitch, when we tell our story, is we are putting ourselves out there in a very unnatural, unique way. We are asking the world to judge us, judge the things we say, the way we look, the idea we have, the baby that we're building this business, judge us. And that's wildly unnatural. If you think about it, most of us don't really want to be judged. We want to be affirmed. And when we get judged, when we put ourselves in that position, lots of negative connotations tend to exist. And so it's unnatural, it's unusual. Of course, the work we do is helping people get past that through a variety of different means. Uh, one of them certainly is to do the work to craft that story at a really high level, but it is a very real tangible thing. And for some people fully paralyzing, I think most people in the startup world get this though. They have no option. You've got to get up there. And even if it's something that you're uncomfortable with getting some reps in, putting the time in will certainly help. Now you can do a lot more, but I would just tell people get going. Number one. 
So I'm sure you get this a lot, but people will say to me, I don't have the natural speaking skills. I don't have the confidence. I don't have the ability to sell it the way that you do. I practice. I've practiced a lot, much like you said, get some of those reps in. And, you know, and I don't think we need to dwell on that because we're going to, I want to talk about, you know, story selling and storytelling. But, you know, really in the end, I, I've spent the last 10 years studying and getting to know people that are masters at their crafts. And it's not always communication, but even people that have high, high amounts of underlying talent spend an extreme amount of time polishing it and getting better at it and learning how to do it. And they're interested in improving. And, you know, people ask me a lot, they're like, what, what podcast do you listen to? I don't listen to any, I don't even listen to my own podcasts on some days, but I sit here and do it. And those are reps and that matters. I think the beauty of, of our, of the virtual world we live in right now is the, the record button means that you can throw it out and do it again. For all, you know, people, this could be Brian and I's ninth try at this and we got it wrong on the first eight, but you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of forgiveness to be had uh, in, in the current world. So, so we talk about story selling and uh, there's even popular books out there like the story brand, which is, I think a great book, especially for someone that needs to craft a story. And that will help have you kind of tell your brand and origin story through the same format that Hollywood uses. When you think about story selling, what do you think about? I think Donald Miller and those other types of guys are spot on. They are awful technical. I'll tell you that they can get really in the minutia of crafting what can be described as a Hollywood narrative. I think we've synthesized that in a far more simple, more doable way. What I say all the time is that essentially standing for nothing is going to cost you money. And I want you to consider some of the biggest, best brands out there. We know deeply what they stand for. Simple ones, things like Jimmy John's sandwiches. These are not the best sandwiches. They're not the most expensive. They're not the least expensive. They're fine, but they are fast. They stand for speed. If you're in a pinch, get Jimmy John's. Spirit Airlines, this is not the world's greatest airline. In theory, you're going to get from point A to point B safely. But if you're looking for ease of lots of opportunities to fly 12 times a day, not going to happen. You want the most comfortable seat? Not going to happen. But you want the cheapest fare? spirit. We know what they stand for. What entrepreneurs get wrong is they never clearly define their core beliefs. Standing for something is going to cost you money if you don't figure it out. What I want people to do first and foremost is know what it is they believe in, what they stand for. Here at Square, at Square Planet, we believe in elevating people. That's our core belief. Everything I do is about providing resources, tools, engagement, stuff that lifts people up. That's what we're all about. How we do that is by making waves. And I'm in the desert. There's no water here. The waves I make are not of the aquatic variety. It's going to be creative expressions that stand out from a crowd. So we know what we believe and we know how we do it. And right there, right now, there are people listening who are like, I want to be elevated and I'm cool with making waves. I didn't tell you where I went to school or how much it costs or how long it takes. I didn't tell you any of those things. But if I can get those two basics, why and how nailed, your pitch is infinitely better. And it starts with knowing what you stand for. And most entrepreneurs don't. And I think that, that the basics of that are what are the benefits that your product provides? If you want to know what you stand for, like you mentioned Spirit Airlines, like, hey, we're cheap. That's the benefit. Save money. 
That might be the only benefit of flying with spirit is saving money, but they're cool with that. And I think too many entrepreneurs and salespeople in general, they want to sell you on features and features aren't what people buy. And they're not really what people care about. Like what are the benefits? And it's not always as tangible as you might think. Like so many products, so many services are brokering peace of mind. And that's not, what's, what's the dollar value on peace of mind? Because for most people, it's infinite. Like it's priceless and convenience and, and all of that. And that, and I learned this as I was founding Gigabook because I thought that people would like scheduling solutions and efficiency in their business because I like that stuff. And I quickly realized and it took, well, not quickly, it took me a little while. And I realized, wow, people like the peace of mind more than anything else. And we started marketing by saying, unchain yourself from your business, your online assistant, you know, and just like, uh, you know, that, that right there had more value to someone than the, than knowing they were running an efficient operation or saving a couple bucks. They just wanted quite honestly, they just want to be left alone a little more, not having to constantly, you know, communicate and, and, and go through so much or feel like they weren't losing business. All right. So, well, let's make no mistake about what you just said there, Matt, what you talked about, whether it's sales or a startup that's pitching itself, what we're selling is transformation. I don't care what it is. We're going from point A to the promise of point B. In your case, it was peace of mind. And that is absolute true regardless. What I always want our clients to do is realize there are basically 12 key themes. And for example, we talked about Spirit Airlines. That's price. You can look at Costco and Walmart. There's a million other companies out there that live on price. That's one of the 12. And so finding those key themes is really easy. What you need to do then is create a story that sticks. And it sounds like you did that with Gigabook really, really well. Probably came from a very deeply personal level. But once you get your core belief really well codified, spoken in a way that's very engaging for the audience, it becomes super easy for people to buy the promise of that transformation. Stuff isn't hard. You just have to do the work. And so the first step in that is capturing someone's attention. And when you can, all right, so we'll go back to that gigabook example. Are you tired of texting your clients at 11 PM? I mean, that's pretty great. That's a great hook. I am. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm, I, I'm over it. You know, I'm over it. Are you tired of missing business while you're doing business with other people? You know, just some things like that. And, and, uh, we're in this Gen Z culture now, uh, the scrolling, the scrolling screen, and you got to have a reason to get people to stop is so how do we capture someone's attention right away? I mean, is it just literally shouting the problem or the, you know, getting someone to identify with what it is that the solution we provide can help them with? I mean, that is the ultimate question, right? And I think you see this when this is one of those kind of things where there's a lot of beta testing going on, uh, even in like the realm of Facebook ads. Let's use that as an example, where you know that marketers are trying a variety of things to see what bait hooks the most fish. The truth of the matter is, is there's lots of ways to do this. Uh, for example, one of the things that we're playing with at Square Planet right now is the idea that we really want to help salespeople hit quota. I mean, you know this, uh, Salesforce puts out a thing called the state of sales every year. And it's like roughly 70% across all industries of salespeople who fail to hit quota. It's crazy. That's a lot of failure. And so what we're doing is we're playing with headlines that say stuff like, would you like to have your Honda become a Mercedes? Would you like your trip 
for spring break to be in Hawaii instead of Florida. And it's that notion of actually hitting your numbers, of actually hitting quota and then being better. And so we're playing with a variety of hooks to see what works, but really you're nailing it. You want to try to engage people at a very emotional level. You don't have to show them the solution. You can show them the problem or you can show them the promise of the solution. There's two ways to attack. You just have to try and see what works best for you. So sometimes, in, in my opinion, that's just stating the obvious. Yeah. Uh, you talk about fa- you talk about Facebook ads. Uh, we had one for this podcast that just said a podcast for entrepreneurs, and that was it. And it sometimes had the startup hustle logo, sometimes it didn't, and it just had a microphone. And we have not even come close to anything that performs on that level. And five million impressions later, it was still it was still putting W's up. Why? Because in that scrolling culture and that simplicity, if you like podcasts or you're an entrepreneur, it got your attention. Now on the, on the basic impression level, uh, TLDR, like too many people are trying to like, you don't win the business on the, on the, with the ad impression. That's right. You get someone's attention, but the purpose of an ad is to get someone to do something else and taking them. Now, if you you get them to click and then they go to a landing page, they go wherever it is that they go. That, in my opinion, is where the storytelling has got to be good. You well, can't just be boring and like, hey, this is this is $15 a month. And do you like it? Click here. Like, give me a little why. And people, if you're listening come on, be bold. We're tired of boring vanilla shit. Like, don't be afraid to like, I don't know, figure it out. Make some waves. Make some waves. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. You're you're saying it, you're saying it super spot on, man. I think the thing that what you just described with your Facebook ad, as simple as it may be, it actually fits what we've created. It's a model that we call the overlap. And it's just a simple Venn diagram. I want you to picture this in your head, everybody. It's really simple. It's three concentric circles, Venn diagram, All three of those overlap. That little spot in the center where the three circles overlap, that's the confluence of what you as an individual believe, the firm that you represent, the company you work for, and then the potential client. Now think about your podcast example. If you're an entrepreneur yourself, your company, which is probably a reflection of you, it believes deeply in entrepreneurship. And then the advertisement that you put out, it said, hey, if you believe the same thing, click here. That's the overlap. And that's what you need to do with your pitch. What you need to, need to do in sales is you need to figure out where the core beliefs all intersect. It's a simple idea, but man, is it hard. To your point, once that's been nailed, it's got to be engaging and interesting. If it's boring, if it's a bunch of data, if we're going to have a snooze fest, we're out. We are looking for that emotional connection. We want to know, like, and trust you instantly, not just know how many years you've been in business and people are on staff and locations around the world. It's got to be something emotional. And that's the key. And, you know, still back to the, to, to the comment about bold or different. And I don't know how many people listening remember this, but everyone knows MailChimp at this point, but when they launched and they did their first ad campaigns, they, they misspelled and misnamed everything you could rhyme with MailChimp, like snail wimp, and, you know, just like all these different things and, and just had them everywhere. And it got to be kind of the point where, you know, you were looking at something and going, wait, what? 
and but it did really well it did really well and then even uh, i was watching Masterclass. i can't remember the guys names but they were the guys behind got milk probably the simplest most stolen and most overly repetitive like everyone and you know at one point uh when people were ripping that off including the font they went back and because that was originally like the wisconsin dairy farmers or someone and they didn't have the money to get into legal to tell people to cease and desist and it was like an accidental genius move because no matter what whenever you saw that you still thought got milk so that's that simplicity and it's that i mean how much do you have milk because that was a pretty good you know, didn't have to tell a whole lot of story there that, now that, something that whole thing is amazing i mean it's aaron burr is the answer to the question in the original commercial and you know they talked about the absence of the product they weren't that's even right. talking about aaron the burr, yeah, yeah. great right i mean it's unbelievable yeah. and yet it still has hooks today that's yeah, kind of funny and that was before hamilton came out too with the aaron burr that's exactly right uh, yeah yeah and that that kind of uh really took off and it's funny because the, the, there's two guys that are ad writing partners and one of them hated it just hated it and it probably became one of the more iconic things ever now those kind of ads and we kind of took a little detour there and we're talking about telling the story so yeah. You know, that, that appeal to human emotions, and that's something that has made a lot of sense for me, because when it comes to telling the story of like what we do at Full Scale, I can, I'll sit there, I'll tell a founder, I'll say, look, man, I've been in your seat. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to wake up at two in the morning and wonder if I'm going broke, if I'm going crazy, or if every decision I've ever made up to this point is wrong. And that is an example, like that didn't, I didn't say a word about the services that we provide, how we do it, how much we charge. But that right there is an emotional connection because I think in the end that people want to do business with people that they, that they feel are, are similar to them in ideology or what they're trying to solve or whatever. How important do you think it is to make that early emotional connection past those benefit statements? I don't think there's anything more important. I think what you're saying is this notion that I keep bringing up about core beliefs. You want to work with those that believe the same things. And I mean, I've been at this a long time now, and I've had plenty of client engagements where it feels like no matter what we do, right, wrong, indifferent, cheap, expensive, slow, fast, it's good. We're just moving and grooving. We just make it work no matter what. And then there've been a few that no matter how hard we try, no matter how fast we get things done, no matter how many discounts we throw at things, no matter who we put on the project, it's like two train trains running into each other. It's because we don't believe the same things. And I mean, literally, like we wouldn't vacation in the same places, listen to the same music, eat the same food. Our worldview is inherently wrong or off or different from theirs. And yet that first set of clients, those that believe similar things, man, it's just easy. And so that's really what we're trying to do. The notion of working with everyone is just a terrible, false, false notion. It's a fallacy. It's a, a, a connotation, I think, that perpetrates the world of business for no apparent reason. I'm of the belief we should try to find early those that believe similar things, that those relationships work and feel good no matter what. Because if you don't figure out those beliefs, if you don't find partners that believe the same things, you're going to butt heads no matter what. And it could be over little things or big things, but it'll just be the nature of the beast. And that will not be a long-term client. So for me, getting that stuff right early, it's like job one. 
Yeah, and that's a, that level of honesty and transparency. And honestly, and I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give away a couple of pages out of my own playbook at full scale because we really do turn down more clients than we accept. And I tell people that early, which on a psychological level creates a level of scarcity. And it's kind of like, huh, I wonder if they'd accept us. And if they wouldn't, why? But the why is, is just like you mentioned, we want to do business with people that we want to be open. We want to be honest. We want to be transparent. Uh, well, A, it's more efficient. And you know that's the way I do business, which occasionally pisses some people off. And honestly, Brian, I don't care. Right. Because if you don't like if you don't like the fact that I'm being honest and transparent and open, okay. I, next, I, you know, there's there's a, my two favorite four letter words when it comes to sales are sold and next. Because sometimes you just got to move on down the line. And that's uh, you know, very well said, man. And, I, and like, let's make this practical. And I know this is going to sound ridiculous, almost sophomoric, but think about it from this perspective. There is not a, a, a swear word, a curse word on the planet that guys like you and me don't love to use from time to time. We can find some flavorful language, right? But there are plenty yeah, of people. Especially me. <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you, bud. L let me tell you, though, that you know this. There are plenty of people who would find tremendous offense to that. They wouldn't want to work with guys like you and me. They would think that somehow, some way, we're either uh, a little cavalier, maybe rougher on the edges, whatever it is. Hey, fine. Great. Next. There are plenty of people who are further endeared by that notion. Like, fuck yeah, let's do that. I'm in. That's what we're talking about. And so it can be a wildly simple thing like that or clearly something much more substantial. But the notion remains the same. Work with people who believe the same thing that you believe. Obviously, that means you got to figure out what you stand for first. Yeah, and we run into that a lot. By the way, I did a poll in the Startup Hustle uh, Facebook group once. I said, what will entrepreneurship teach you? Uh, like you get one thing and the best answer I got was how many different ways you can use the word fuck in a sentence. Yeah, it's pretty great, um, right? It ha it does happen. So uh, now we're, we're going to transition to some talking points, you know, some, some other talking points we have here related to telling your story. Before we do that, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, where we will tell you the truth and sometimes say curse words. If you don't like it, I'll say next. So, all right. We mentioned at the top of the show that a lot of people fear the pitch. We also mentioned that practicing the pitch will help. And that really, really, really matters. Now, I'm a believer that if you can't tell me what your company does in one sentence, then you have either, either you don't know what your company does or you have grossly overcomplicated it. When it comes to telling your story and now that we're going to pitch or present it to someone, what are, what are, where are some of your, like, what's the 101 when it, at Square Planet? There's a bunch. And so this is a thick book, but I'll thin it out. Uh, number sure. one, as I've been saying, is you got to know what you stand for. That's pretty clear right there. Yep. Uh, yep. Number two, I believe deeply in using what I call parallel narratives, parallel narratives. I'll give you an example. A few moments ago, I talked about there are 12 kind of main themes that seem to exist throughout all kinds of business. Uh, one of those, for example, is the notion of efficiency. I don't care if you're a data migration company or you're Jimmy John's, you may go out to the market saying we are all about efficiency. It may not be the cheapest, may not have the greatest technology, but we're going to be the most efficient. Okay. Telling that story using a parallel narrative goes a very long way. And there's an opposite and a 
positive, if you will. So think about things like Japanese bullet trains versus the boat stuck in the Suez Canal a few weeks ago. Both of those stories that have nothing to do with things like data migration or fast food can very effectively talk about speed and efficiency. One, Japanese trains, very fast. Boat stuck in the Suez, very slow. But we get the idea. And so using those parallel narratives to engage the audience to make it really simple for people to understand, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, here's a little bite for you. The three C's, we talk about this all the time. Clarity, conviction, and connection. Clarity, conviction, connection. If we don't know what you do, if we're confused, you will lose. Must have clarity. Conviction. I've got to feel this stuff. I've got to feel that you are deeply invested in the stuff you're trying to pitch me, sell me, etc. And the connection, I want to feel like a human being that I like and trust. I want to feel like we can do work together. And using stories like a Japanese bullet train or a boat stuck in the Suez to talk about efficiency provide all three in a really simple way. So if you know what you stand for, and then you can use a parallel, parallel narrative focused on clarity, conviction, and connection, you'll win. Well, a confused mind always says no. I mean, Correct. it's rare when it doesn't. And that's and that's where I think a lot of founders complicate their pitch message when it comes to telling the story of their startup. And they are so immersed in what they do that they feel that the 65-year-old men and women that are at, work for the private equity company uh, just inherently understand the artificial intelligence that they want to build. And then it's whoosh, like right over their head. I was on. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Matt. I was part of a very. I'm part of a very cool group. Uh, it's about twelve people online. You know, we do this. We get together and do basically like a long Zoom twice a week. And at one point, this one guy was telling a number of things, and we're a few weeks in it. And finally, I, I kind of say, "Dude, I have no idea what you're talking about." And the rest of the group was like, "Oh my God, thank you for saying that." No one knew. He was talking all over all of our heads. And I mean, I said something along the lines of like, listen, man, I'm a pretty bright guy. I, I, I taught for six years at Northwestern University. I mean, I'm no dummy and I'm lost. If you get it wrong when it comes to clarity, I mean, you're just done. So it's very, very real. Very real. I mentioned that sometimes people don't like my transparency. Well, that that maybe while it's not transparency, I'm that guy, except for I won't wait too long. I yeah. won't wait too long because... Yeah, I used to be a sales trainer many, many moons ago. And we said, don't talk over the buyer's head. And, you know, don't assume that anybody understands the benefits of the features you're trying to explain. We, I always use a quick acronym, FAB, features, advantages, and benefits. So like you need to roll right through that. If you mention a feature, it needs to be accompanied with the advantage that your company or whatever it is that you do provides. And then don't assume that people understand the benefit at all, even if they are industry experts and you're in the same industry, lay it out there. And if you can get them to talk about it, like get them to repeat it, get them to acknowledge, wouldn't, you know, Brian, if I, if I create, if Gigabook was able to let you have your life back after five, wouldn't that be great? Be awesome, right? Okay. Very so, simple. You know, there's, there's something yep. and it's simple. And, you know, and I like to ask questions that pretty much are guaranteed to have a yes response. Like you would have a very difficult time. Uh, I, I like to get you in the habit of saying yes before I ask the real time that matters when you say yes, which is, do you want to go ahead and get this? It's that simple. You People attorney, always ask Matt. me like, what? you missed your calling. <laughs> the the, the I, legal side of the world, was, they needed you. 
Uh, I'm the son of a son of an attorney, and I don't know what that makes me on most days, Brian, because my dad was just at my house yesterday, and I was complaining about attorneys. So, uh, And no one hates attorneys more than other attorneys, so I don't know if that's the life I would have lived. I don't know if I, I'm too emotionally charged. I know so, this. I was, talk- I was told from a little, little, little guy, you'll be a great attorney someday. Best decision I ever made was to not pursue that. So there's that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would have enjoyed that part of it. So you talk about knowing your audience. Uh, you have a better chance of, of your message having that like resonating and landing well if you understand your audience. Now, that doesn't mean that your message and the story that you tell has to be, par- you know, has to be created. Like you talked about having that parallel instance. If you are giving a pitch or you're telling your story, try to find a way to, ra- like Brian said, try to find a way to wrap it up that makes sense. It's like I was mentioning earlier when I talked to a founder about full scale, like, hey, they appreciate the fact that they're talking to someone that knows what they've been through, what they're dealing with, and how all of that and how all of that makes sense for them. So you know, a few minutes of research and understanding can go a long way. I think too many people when they want to tell their story, they just get up and it's just in a can. And well, I don't know. There is a, I think that's also I think that's also that's also the easiest way to freeze on stage, in my opinion, is only knowing your presentation word for word. Because oh, whenever you've sure. seen someone whenever you've seen someone freeze up giving a presentation, that's because they are sitting there going back to the beginning and trying to get back to that exact word where they froze up and they can start up again. But well the diff- that is the difference between memorization and internalization. And I always deeply want my clients to internalize, not memorize. You're spot on. I think your point from just a moment ago, I want to give just a touch of color. You talked about something I think that's wildly important. And really, there's a framework that exists, and it goes back far, like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, the ancient Greeks. They talked about people understanding things. That's the notion of ethos, pathos, and logos, of knowing it in our brain, our heart, and our gut. And that still exists today, but we've actually changed the formula. And for entrepreneurs out there, write this down, gang. It's so simple, but boy, does it work. Every time you pitch or present, you want to answer three very simple but not easy questions. What do I want my audience to know? That's with a K. What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? Know, feel, and do. If you have to really walk into a situation where you don't know your audience very well, if you've been unable to dig up the research that you can really find specifics about the people you're speaking to, just simply effectively answer no feel and do, and you're going to be fine. And it's not one of the three or two of the three. It's all three of the three. There can be multiples and it could be in any order, but you need that three-part harmony to be successful. It's so simple to dismiss this, but this stuff is big. Give it a try and you'll see your success rate go way up. So I don't have nearly the amount of experience that you do when it comes to helping people groom stuff, but people will show me their pitch deck or whatever they have. And they want to, they want, uh, you know, they want the input and feedback. And I usually end up chopping about half of it out. How do you go about getting rid of the fluff or the garbage? How do you thin things down to a point of dilution? And, you know, we're using, we're talking in a different context, we're talking about efficiency, but if you talk too much and you get too far into the weeds or you talk over the buyer's head, the eyes glaze over and it's game over for you at that point, people are in the back of the room taking a nap at that point. So how do you, how do you, how do you remove the verbosity 
from all of it. Uh, brevity is definitely your friend. No doubt about it. Less is more, which is, of course, hard. Uh, using no feel and do as basically a funnel to cut things really, truly goes a very long way. And I suggest going analog. And by that, I mean whiteboards, yellow pads, you name it. Don't start by building slides. Just start answering those questions of no. What all the data points, the information, the stuff that I need this audience to understand? What do I want them to feel? This is an amazing opportunity. It's once in a lifetime. We're the only ones with this tech. And then what do I want them to do? Sign a contract or write me a check, whatever the heck it is. That really helps boil things down. And I know this is my, this could be tough for people to, to know this one because it's been a while. But there was a time when you would go to a new car dealer and you'd walk in and they'd hand you this incredible, beautiful, glossy, full printed book that showed all these amazing pictures and listed all these things about a car and they kind of had sections the exterior colors the interior features the performance under the hood all the different options i like people to think about their pitch that way yes the book tells the complete story but there are times and places to eliminate some of those finite really detailed discussions you might have an audience that really only cares about the exterior color well spend your time there but if you have the insight, if you have the info at the ready, if you've internalized your content, you can pivot and talk about the interior at a moment's notice. So when we help our people, our clients build their pitches, we absolutely have a very comprehensive overview using no feel and do, using a core belief to set things off. But we add different elements as necessary to beef things up or thin things down. It's just a matter of doing the work, spending the time and getting the stuff built out. But it takes some doing. So you talk about the ant living in that analog world. And when, when I give a presentation or a speech, or I talk to a group, either I don't, I either, I don't have anything at all, or the most that I have would be like an index card with five words written on it. Like I, I, I refer to it as a set list. And those are like five key points. Like you say, no feel do. And it, it just depends on what we're doing. And that's just simply so I can look at that. And I know I need to transition into the next, into the next part of it. Um, I don't know if that approach is, I, I feel that on many levels, that's the advanced approach because you have to have the confidence to know that you're going to make it from one word to the next and not babble on. But when you speak to people, do you, it, it, what's your approach? Like what, how are you prepared for it? How do you stay on track and how do you keep yourself from turning something simple into a, a babbling nightmare or a frozen mess? Well, I got to tell you, I freaking love what you did with the bullet points on a card. Uh, there is absolutely no synonym between the word presentation and slide deck. These are two very different things. And if there's one thing that I would love every audience I speak to to walk away with, it's that you can absolutely be incredibly effective as a human being selling, pitching, connecting with other humans being other human beings without a single slide. I mean, this is a pretty good example. Sure, it's a podcast, but Matt, you and I are having a conversation. And I know my material cold because it's my life's work. It's what I spend all my time on. And it's one of those kind of things that when the right question reveals the right moment, I can give you a proper answer. And that's what people need to get into this habit of. It's not thinking slide deck. It's thinking conversation. It's very, very real. And I think the best thing I can tell people more than anything else is just try it. 
Try doing it without a slide deck in a real pitch environment. It's easy to do it in things like a cocktail party or even a, a networking group where you just talk like a human being. But we've got this kind of notion that society says, I must have a slide deck. I must have support materials. I must have visuals. If I don't, that somehow makes me less than. No. PowerPoint's been around since the 80s. Now, that seems like a long time for lots of people, but human beings have been around for thousands of years, very effectively communicating. You don't need a stupid slide deck. Just try telling people. People thank me. People thank me for not having them. Yeah, for like sure. literally, literally. I mean, I've I've had more. I've legit had more people say thank you. No one said where was your deck, like, right? And honestly, I mean, and if I do one, like I spoke to five hundred people a couple years ago based on one of my books, and I had uh, six images. That was the whole. That was the whole visual behind me. And they just kind of rotated through and they had, they had no words. They were just images and they were, you know, one of the things that people say, if you want to get started on something you need to, well, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yep. I had one slide that had, just had an elephant and you know, that that's it. Now the thing is, is if you want people to pay attention to you, I, I like them. Well, there you go. I'm not going to give you any distractions. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I was doing a, a keynote presentation for United Airlines a number of years ago, and I very much encourage conversation. I always say to my audience, by all means, put your hands up, bark it out. Let's just talk. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. And I'm about 15 minutes into a 60-minute keynote, and, and these two women sitting side by side, they very much make this big wave. They make their presence known, and so I call on them, and they took deep umbrage with my notion that you don't need slides. And so I had a wireless lavalier microphone on and I walked from the front of the room all the way to the back where the technical guy was. And I kind of poked around. I'm like, is this the right cable? Yeah. And I made a big dramatic move and I pulled the cable and all of a sudden the slides go away. The screens go black. And I say to the audience, okay, I've got 45 minutes left. And at the end you get to judge. Was I effective or was I ineffective because I didn't have slides and you know where this is going because I knew my material. I knew the stuff I stood for. I was able to answer no field and do very deeply. And I had internalized my message and practiced a gazillion times. I nailed it. And when it was all said and done, the two ladies were like, okay, you're right. We're convinced you don't need slides. And I mean, yes, I see the value. We make slides. We've got a team of designers that builds this stuff. I get why. I mean, we, we use them. But it is not an end-all, be-all. You got to know your material first. You have to have your content first. Once you do that, everything falls in place. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, when it comes to telling the startup story, I've told man, I don't even know a lot. A lot of people, if you can't fit that story, that whole thing on the front of one piece of paper, it's too long. Yep. And you talk about getting the. If you want to get my attention, it's not going to be with a pitch deck. I, I, I mean, I'm admittedly like one of the crown jewel cases when it comes to proving that ADHD is real. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to see your, I don't want to see your 60 page business plan. I might later, I don't want to see it in the beginning. I don't want to see your 26 page deck. I certainly don't want to sit there while you go through pages of it and just read me the same shit that's on the slides. Like, yeah. And I don't know. I'm we've usually had, the guy that's. I'm. I'm usually the one that's asleep at the back. We've had ten teams on yeah. Shark Tank. I've had ten different entities, organizations, companies that I've coached that have been on Shark Tank, and it's different. It's TV. It's for entertainment value. You're not going to put a sixty slide deck up on screen there. You're just not going to do it. And 
absolutely the hardest thing that those people that we worked with did was make the transition from being able to connect with their audience, in this case, the four sharks, in a really deeply meaningful way without the crutch of using a pretty typical baked slide deck. I mean, we had to do a variety of things to make it engaging for television, which might be more bombastic than you would typically do in a normal startup environment. But the underlying message still remains, engage people, get people like you, Matt, with ADHD to actually be able to focus by doing something that's not, this is our team, this is our technology, this is our, I mean, that stuff's fine, but you have to know how and when to deploy it. And most people don't. I keep hearing my book editor's voice while you're saying that stuff. Lead with the need. Don't give them a chance to put the book down. That means keep it moving. That's, yeah. you know, book editor ease and like keep the story moving. And that's how, it, you know, the world will have, everyone will have ADD if you stick on one subject too long. And when I wrote my uh, book, did, I had this notion of like, I, I kept saying my book is going to be about being able to put it down after 10 minutes or so. And so it was case study, case study, case study, case study. You could pick it up any time you wanted, but in 10 minutes, you could take a bunch in and it was just this notion of chunks really fast, really impactful bits. And I've heard from lots of people that read my book that that was their favorite part. It keeps it interesting, keeps it moving. Yeah, my first book, I, I, it, there was just basically a collection of little pieces of stuff. And I yep. said in the beginning, it, look, not all these are going to apply to you. Skip the ones. If, you, if you're reading and you think there's no way this applies to me, move to the next section. Uh, the, the second book that I wrote million dollar bedroom, my goal was, I wanted it to be, I wanted you to hear my voice and I wanted you to be able to get through it quickly. There are and so many jokes when, I, when you say the that. Feedback I got. So many jokes. <laughs> yeah. I want you to hear my voice in my million dollar bedroom. It's <laughs> and get through it quickly. Yeah, exactly. And, and well, that, that's why we had a good title. You know, I, by the way, if you ever do write a book, million dollar entitled million dollar bedroom, Brian, you will learn uh, which of your friends have perverse thought processes. I'm not surprised, man. People are like, wait a minute, this is a book. I thought this was a different type of entrepreneurship. Well, we got you to open the cover. It worked, uh, right? Which, had, which is part hard. of the, that that's part of that's part of the no jokes on that one either um there <laughs> no jokes that needed. was the whole lead with the need and get someone's attention up front so i end my episodes of start apostle with what we call the founders freestyle i say my episodes because i am not the only host to start apostle make sure you tune in on tuesdays and listen to what andrew morgan's the founder of marknology has to say about e-commerce and selling on amazon tune in on thursdays with lauren conaway the founder of Innovate Her will enlighten you on many, many things that many amazing women are doing across the country and sometimes outside the country. You never know. If you haven't had enough Startup Hustle at that point, come on over to the YouTube and check out Startup Hustle TV where you can see why my face is made for radio and see a whole lot of other entrepreneurs talking about entrepreneurship and how we do it. So Brian, as mentioned, Founders Freestyle, that's how we end. Uh, what, what are your, since you weren't an attorney, but could have been, what are your closing remarks, advice, tips, statements, closing lines, whatever you want? It's a freestyle. What would you like to say to everyone on the way out? Uh, there's a few things. One, 
There is no script. And by that, I mean, gang, life is what you choose to make it. Don't let anyone influence you besides you. It's your life. You get to do whatever the hell you want to do. Never forget that. That's one. Number two is understand deeply what it is that you uniquely stand for. It could be pretty benign. It might not be the most caustic thing, and that's okay. Third and finally, let's all exist to elevate elevate people. This world is a much better place when we live in a world of love versus hate. And so for us around here, it's always about helping people elevate. Once again with me today, Brian Burkhart, the founder and chief word guy at Square Planet. You can go to squareplanet.com. There's a link in the show notes. Brian will help you get your message straightened out. Before I end with my freestyle, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale. We can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. You can find us pretty much anywhere you can type in the words full scale. How about that? So, so many, so many ways, so many places. Look, overall, when it comes to telling the story of your startup, start telling it, practice it, tell it to as many people as possible. Ask them what they heard, what they didn't, where were you paying the most attention? Where did you fall asleep? Find people that will tell you, this part sucked. I didn't like this part. Don't just try to, don't just go tell your mom, unless your mom is one of those people. Don't just go and do it for your mom and people that are going to, oh, that was great. That was, that was really awesome. No, find people that'll be critical and tell you when and how to make it better. Focus on the statements and the benefit, uh, benefit statements and the things that make a lot of sense to whoever your researched audience is, you know, if you're going to, if people are going to take the time to listen to you, take the time to figure out what they might listen to. It goes a long way. I have people that are trying to get my attention all day, every day through message boxes, emails, blah, blah, blah. The ones that actually get my attention are usually the ones that have figured out something about me or my company or any of it, or all of it, you know, like that's what's going to make that message go through. In your case, if you're solving a problem and you're speaking to other people that have that same problem, start with telling them why your life was miserable or whatever, and then tell them how you made it better. I usually don't ask, but Brian, did, did I, do you concur with all those or do you have anything else you'd like to, to add on top of those? I'll say 80%, truthfully. Um, I am not yeah. a fan of people soliciting opinions of those who are not fully informed. This is difficult stuff. And it's absolutely the foundation for your culture, for your sales, for all of the people that might work for your firm, getting it right deeply matters. It affects so many things. And when you just simply solicit opinions, you might get bad advice. And so this is not about me saying, come to Square Planet, although that's a great option. There are lots of people who have tremendous skill and knowledge on how to get this stuff right. Find someone who actually can give critical feedback that makes a difference, not just critique. There's a big difference. Yeah, totally agree. Well, head on over to squareplanet.com. Brian, I'll see you next time. Matt, you're the man. And by the way, go White Sox. Just saying.
Ah, boo. I think the Royals just beat the White Sox yesterday. Actually. You know, yeah. we can talk about yeah, your Chiefs and my Bears and our various yeah. baseball entities all the time, but uh, I'm on the wrong yeah. end of all of it. Although the Sox are going to be good this year. Just saying. Well, 20, the, Chiefs will, the, Chiefs will, the Chiefs will lose at least four or five more Super Bowls at a minimum before the Bears see one, so we're good there, too. Hey, Andy Dalton's going to change everything. <laughs> no one ever worse to- startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on instagram see you next time